Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the Mate Sessions with CliffCentral.com. Um, it's been a while, but it was worth the wait because I think we've got a very interesting and exciting show. Final show. Final show for the, the year. year. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, I've been dying to do it for a long time. So have I. Yes, and you'll find out why. So today, we start to explore how the architecture in our homes can affect domestic workers. I used to think that architecture was a specialist field. But through Tulisa, I've realized more and more how space has social, economic, and psychological properties too. Physical space not only facilitates human life as we know it, but it has a profound impact on our headspace. South Africa's history, in particular, is a prime example of how space can be used to segregate, to oppress, to exploit, and to monopolize power. This was the architecture of apartheid. This phenomena can also apply on a micro level, though, and in our very own homes. So here to school us a little bit is Mate Sessions co-host and architect extraordinaire, <laughs> Tulisa Cindy. <laughs> Hi, lovely. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, have you got your expert hat on? I'm so nervous. Why? <laughs> because I'm not even remotely close yeah, to an expert. Right. She's just trying just to manage. Feel my way through this no, this industry. You know. No lies, lies. <laughs> she, she, it's a strategy. She's trying to set expectations low, but she knows she's got this. Okay. So true to your very sophisticated nature, we've broken the conversation up into the following themes: territory. Association, control, access, ownership, and autonomy. Now, I don't know what the hell (laughs) those things mean, Um, but pray do tell us first and foremost about territory. Okay, so let me uh, start, before I get to territory, let me just start with where my premise comes from. Okay. As a spatial practitioner, which of course, is premise, premise, <laughs> of course, I forgot the premise. <laughs> Do you tell us your premise and hypothesis? <laughs> Absolutely, um, I will do that. <laughs> so, um, space is inherently psychological and mental before it is physical, right? It has to be conceived, right, before it can be made, exactly, before it can go on paper. Uh huh. So. And it's never conceived without intent, mm. right? There's always a reason why someone wants space. Mm. Someone wants a building. Someone so, wants urbanity. Essentially, actually, my introduction was not good because <laughs> <laughs> what I was saying is um, space has those implications, psychological, mm. social, economic. But actually, it is those but things. But it actually is those things. It's, it's born yeah. from those things. Yeah. So it is those things before it is physical. Of course. Yes. Mm. And and that is why that's been my focus mm. in my career is to understand psychological space making rather than physical space making because mm-hmm. I think there's more than enough people that make physical space. Right. So inherently space is never neutral. Um and we've seen how it can be conceived for purely functional purposes which is what it essentially started as eventually it became monumental uh social political mm. so so it, it uh, started to cross these different um, territories mm. and, you know, it started to represent different things. Um, now space can be indulgent. 
mm-hmm. when before it was purely functional. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, even though we use space as individuals, you know, that we have complete or for the most part, we have autonomy within space as individuals. Mm. We're still working on someone's inherent canvas, right? Someone decided that that space has to be a certain way. Right. And we're using that space on those terms. Right. And then, and then things are getting born out of that. So that's incredible in the sense that, you know, you go into a space, say you buy a house, mm. right? You go into that space with the intention to make it your own and to define it. Yeah. But, but you, you never think about how it can define you. Yes. Because you're always starting from somewhere. It's never neutral. And like a prime example of it is something like apartheid spatial planning mm. where maybe our intent as a country was supposed to be, you know, a better relationship between different cultural groups and that sort of stuff. But the spatial planning, mm. because it existed programmed to Girl, was that really the into better relations? You know, let's <laughs> just, was that how they sp- let's 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 assume okay. let's assume let's, oh, wow, that, that in an ideal that, that, in, <laughs> that in in an ideal series of events that we buy that, that, their bullshit. that is what was supposed uh-huh. to happen, right? Uh. <laughs> architecture, the architecture has still managed to to keep what its inherent intent was, which was yeah. to divide. Mm. Um, and so that's why we see even with our transport systems and that kind of stuff that there's still, it still hasn't been able to be a significant closing of the gap, right? Mm. Between what was literally physically divides that were created. Mm. So um, that is, that is, I think, hopefully this a, a tangible thing as a as a country that we can make sense of yeah, in terms absolutely. of what some, a space is and what we inherit um spatially so one of my favorite philosophers and sociologists who who theorized a lot on space um he divided space into three components mm-hmm. so the one was conceived space that the next lived space and the last perceived space that space is always all of those three things okay so con- go again so <laughs> the first being conceived space, mm-hmm. which is simply the space that we think, right? Mm. The space that we imagine. Mm. It's And it's also representations of space. So mm. it's the way that we think and what we put down on paper mm. as a representation of what we think. Mm. So that's conceived space. Then we have lived space, which is the way we approach space mentally. Mm. And we have perceived spaces, which is the way we approach space through feeling. Wow. And so all of those things. And for all, all of us who thought those three words meant the same thing. <laughs> Girl, I did too. Okay, I did too. And so with that, that is where the six different uh, topics come from. Okay. But when we think of something and we think of it on spatial terms, we always fill it with something. Okay. So you can never imagine space without thinking it on your own terms. Okay. And it always has inherent properties. Yeah. Even if it's empty or yeah. looks empty. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You can still pin it down. You can still talk to a typology or, mm. you know, but you can always refer to it as something. Okay. Because, you know, if it was void of anything, yeah. which it never is. Right. So there is no such thing as empty space. In my opinion. In your opinion. Yeah. It's not necessarily that a, the architecture industry. No, I think <laughs> thinks you make a good way. argument. That's, that's, no, I agree. Yeah. And so, and design, I think sometimes can be confused between something that must look good versus, uh, something that fulfills its inherent purpose, mm. which for me is what design is about is if it can fulfill its inherent purpose. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's, it's also associated to problem solving, but also 
visionary thinking okay. that you have to imagine even before your client knows what they want, mm. what they want, mm. that you sometimes give them what they didn't even realize they need. So let's talk about territory as opposed to space. Territory speaks to appropriation, right? Mm, it does. And what we can find, I think, or like <clears throat> ownership. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, and what I think is quite prevalent, which I think a lot of, um, us have seen is how domestic workers often crowd at the corners of suburbs, mm. um, you know, just on, on the lawn. Um, and <clears throat> what's very interesting is that in a way they're always within the suburban territory, mm. right? So they've never left. Mm. But um, it speaks to the the degrees of freedom that they feel. So in certain spaces, they feel more free than certain other spaces. Mm. Um, so often the domestic workers that we've spoken to have, have told us how um, they're not allowed to bring friends over mm. or sometimes if they want to speak to their friend they have to speak over the gate and really quickly mm. and their movements are monitored or their time is always quite regulated mm. and so sometimes privacy doesn't even exist in the only place within the home that right. is private right um and so there's such an irony to that to that part of the street sometimes feeling more private than an actual private an space incredible irony how does mm. i mean how does that happen and it's not just the street corner. I mean, it's parks as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. You'll often find domestic workers and other workers kind of, 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 of the working class, mm. if you will. Mm. You'll, you know, builders, waitresses, um, cashiers, mm. kind of, and usually black, <laughs> <laughs> um, having their meals. You know, they'll, I have, I know I have a, a shopping center across from my house and then, I'm in a suburb, so I'm also surrounded by different households. Mm. And there's a park between me and the shopping center, and the domestic workers go there, mm. as well as the the builders if there's construction, yeah. as well as the cashiers from Woolworths, yeah. as well as the the waiters from the restaurants. Mm. Wow! They all leave their place of work, mm. which for kind of it's it's ironic for the domestic workers. Because they work in a home and um, a lot of the time they, they live in that home as well. But I, th I feel like it's also ironic for, for instance, a waiter mm. who works in a restaurant mm. that serves food mm. to go probably not to Woolworths, yeah. but to, to walk quite a distance to... A diff, like a shop right or a different cafe to get a certain type of food yeah. and then walk to a park to have a meal mm. only to go back to work to serve food. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But you tell me, Em, mm. have you ever felt comfortable in a place where you were watched? Mm. And it comes That's down to that. That's interesting though because in a corporate environment, mm employees feel more than comfortable to take their meals in the cafeteria or even at their desk. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I've never thought about it twice. Well, th this actually that you touch on because you're so good at this. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, honestly, but it, but it deals with the thing that we're going to later, which is association. Okay. Right. And that has to do with, okay. So if I decide that I will design a lounge for myself mm. 
and I use it as a lounge, it is a lounge mm. for me, mm. right? But if you say you were a cleaner, mm. if you use it only to clean, it is not a lounge to you. Aha. Uh-huh. You see what uh-huh. I mean? Aha. Uh-huh. So if the the employee, say the corporate person, mm. uses the cafeteria as a cafeteria, uses the kitchen as a kitchen, uses the office space as an office space, the cleaner only ever uses every space as a cleaning space. And so it right. it doesn't necessarily become a kitchen for them or a, a cafeteria for them. You see okay. what I mean? Okay. That's interesting. And so now let's go back to... The domestic to the, Yes, into territory. <laughs> yes. Um, what gives you territory over something? Often, everyone is able to associate certain needs to the spaces that they walk into, right? Mm. But when you can also associate wants to those environments, that's mm. when that space changes, right? Okay. And your wants speak to your desires or your dreams or comforts. Okay. Right? So Which it is goes different. beyond functionality. Yes, exactly. It's just basic survival. Yeah. It's all of the ex, it's the bells and the whistles and the frills that make a space, that yes. give a space an identity rather than exactly. a utility. Okay. Exactly. And so when you look at a typical domestic worker unit, mm. they often have maybe windows that are too high and it's purely for the inlet of air, mm. nothing else. It's not necessarily for views. Mm. Um, they don't have storage, which means technically you're never comfortable enough there if you can't unpack, if you can't settle mm. in, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and so it's completely stripped down to you only ever being able to use it for the purpose. So now this thing is, excites me because it goes back to identity. Mm. It does. Right? Which goes back to classism. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. To the reasons why... And for me... Regardless of whether there are rules, mm. even if um, even if a domestic worker works in a home where they are allowed, they technically aren't not allowed to use the dining room table because there was never such a rule, mm. right? Even in a restaurant, for instance, where no one's ever said to the waiters, you're not allowed to eat here during lunch. But can we just discuss the term allowed? Mm. Just the fact that there's that possibility that someone might need to allow you mm. already speaks to someone else that mm. owns mm. and you mm. that is a visitor. So f- that, first of all, but also I think there's a discomfort around spaces we don't perceive to be compatible with us yeah, and our identity. Yeah, absolutely. Spaces we can't identify with. And so you, somebody might be very accommodating, very welcoming of you in their home, but you might still feel uncomfortable absolutely. if you can't identify with mm. the way a space is, and which mm. is what you were saying later on, I mean earlier on, about how it's about more than utility, right? It's about essentially... The, the character and the personality that the space takes on and how mm. the person feels in that space and whether they feel they can identify. Yeah. And I think, I think on a, on a classist level, you have a lot of people and look, I think that applies across classes, mm. you know, mm. I think there are working class people who feel uncomfortable in middle, middle class spaces mm. or middle to upper class spaces. And I think there are middle class people who feel uncomfortable in upper class, class or, yeah. spaces. And I think there's 
middle class people who feel uncomfortable in lower class spaces. Mm. But character is so important. Yes, but if you, I mean, you spoke to, you know, these, the, the micro scale of mm. how these things play out. But if you were to, again, bring it to varying scales, because all of these things happen in varying scales. So literally from like city scale to a, a room mm. in in our houses. Mm. Um, that's when you have, <laughs> for instance, students saying this university doesn't feel like it's for me, mm. you know, or, mm. or you'll have an entire city block where, or, like you'll have Hillbrow where mm. it mostly attracts foreign Africans, mm. you know, mm. and and there's those sorts of reasons that's associated to class, that's associated to identity, and you know something personal that crosses need and okay. function. So now, I think those are properties that are inherited from the macro environment, mm. right? That come into our homes. Yeah, that's that's stuff about our society. But it's also the micro that creates that macro. This is the thing that I want to understand. This mm. is my question for you. To what extent is that the society's fault? And to what extent are we to blame? I think it's gotten to a stage where it's both to blame. Right. Because they are just perpetual now. So how do you think where territory is concerned, how can we do better in our homes to accommodate our domestic workers? This not even on on spatial terms. Mm. Just I think between one human and another, mm. there are s- certain ways of treatment that is simply not okay. And I understand it's your home, and therefore it's your rules. But it touches on the topic of um, on the point of ownership because you know sometimes the workers' pay is cut so that you know yeah yeah so it's used as rent, but their rules still don't apply. So, so they don't get to establish rules. And so it's, it, in a way, it devalues. So you don't even own the thing you've paid for. Exactly. Completely devalues their money. And again, completely strips you of any sort of autonomy. And that, so when, that, wow. Yeah. So, so, so even just that mm. on an economic front, mm. that makes no sense, right? But that's because all this territorial stuff you're talking about overrides mm. ownership. Yeah. But. There is the room for it to be possible. Yeah. But I think what people are going to find interesting here, and it applies to even when, say you come, say you grew up poor, mm. right? And you grew up in the township um, or in a bad neighborhood, mm. okay? And overnight, you win the lotto or you achieve success. Yeah. And you move your family to a leafy suburb, mm. right? And you pay good money mm. for that house. Mm. You can still feel alien. Completely. You can still never own it. Yeah, completely. Because it has to be mentally owned. That is cray cray. <laughs> yeah, it has to be mentally owned. But That's before it is physically owned. Yeah, it's true. That's your cray. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, so we can live in cities but never feel like a part of the city. It, it, it speaks to how, to a large extent, where we put a focus on economic policies like BE. We're scratching the surface of the problem. So when it comes to putting such a large emphasis on economic policies like like BE and doing it in a, a very capitalistic economic way where we're literally just dividing the pie or, you know, we're kind of quantifying, I guess, progress in financial terms. 
that's not nearly enough. Absolutely not enough, um, but definitely not a small problem either. So it's 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 also not a surface wound, unfortunately, because um, economic freedom is fundamentally crucial, but it must come with many other things. And and uh, so I think it, I almost want to say there need to be certain conditions mm. for it for economic freedom to thrive, mm. right, or to have an impact. Or the desired impact. It yeah. has an impact anyway, but the desired impact. Mm. But I think there needs to be a, a kind of a, a more psychological and a social component built into these kinds of policies. I think what we inherited was so massive that it, it feels like, and this is it's just a gut mm. uh, response, but it feels like we might have split <laughs> the fight up into different elements. Let's first win this battle. Mm. And then with that, let's go for this one. And then with that, let's go for this one. So when we got political power, mm. then the hope was with this, we can change policies. With this, we can access finances. With this, we can mm. access the judiciary. And then... You know, so it was supposed to, I think, mm. have a ripple effect. Mm. But I don't think you can yeah, address the these things. Is, you can put these things in compartments, though. Um, but I also don't think that was a naive approach. Yeah. Um, I really just think the battle was huge. Yeah. And I think, to be honest as well, like a lot of their lives were under threat. A lot of people's lives today <laughs> are under threat over what they fight for, you know? So, so sometimes it becomes manageable also when you know what you are capable of fighting for and that's what you pursue and someone else will handle another portion. Someone else will handle another portion. So it's not necessarily that that is the absolute way mm. to, but I think sometimes when something is completely overwhelming, but maybe I, that I, starts to make sense. I, I love this idea. And I think it's something people need to think about more and more, especially when we live in a very capitalist society, right? And globally, Mm. Okay, I think people need to think about the social value that people's money has. Yes, I don't think that's going to come for a while. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> yes. I mean, we know, we know, but um, your money, money's power that's is overwhelming. Okay, so the basically what we're saying here is that money doesn't necessarily buy you territory. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And and a prime example is that is a domestic worker that will pay for her own space but will not be allowed to live by her own rules within that space. So unfortunately all of the the advocates of land reform um unfortunately all of those fierce activists and look no, I think they, they I, must continue. Yeah, they must for continue, sure. but I think but just different forces definitely should join in. Yeah. Yeah. I think they need to they need to bear in mind that simply getting the land back uh, might not necessarily mm. be enough. There's you know there's a lot more work to do there. But I think that's why there was a Steve Biko mm. in the movement mm. because they they were not unaware. Well, that's certainly what we're lacking at the moment. Is all of this <laughs> um, identity stuff. So we jumped around, <laughs> but I want to go to association. So yes, association, as I touched on a bit earlier, has to do with not necessarily using space for what it was intended for. Mm. And therefore that space starts to mean different things. To different people. Yes. Like a house for a family will mean exactly what that house was meant to be. Mm. But for a domestic worker, it means none of that. So should we be designing 
in a society where our, you know, something like domestic work is so prevalent mm. and isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I suppose that's what the servants' quarters was for in the first place, right? Yeah. That was designing, that was apartheid's way of designing domestic work into homes. Yeah. Um, but that was done during apartheid, so it obviously yeah. was quite sinister the way they did it and, and inhumane. But for the modern, contemporary kind of architect, right? Mm, mm. In South Africa, mm. do you still recommend we design domestic work into our homes? And how? Um, like, what does I, that's what I'm curious about. What does it look like for you, ideally? Well, the problem isn't spatial mm. in that sense. The mm. problem is human mm. based. Um, <laughs> and I mean, we've come to see how humans are mostly the glitch in most systems. And in that case, again, it's, it's the human, human interaction, but it manifests into the way that space is perceived. Mm. So, um, it's one of those things that can't quite be controlled with space yeah. because the intent is inherently not exclusive yeah. or exclusionary. Yeah. Um, but then humans make it that way. Yeah. So in, in that case, it is It's not a, a special intervention per yeah, se. Yeah. But it manifests into a spatial problem. Yeah. And so when it comes to the ways that people continue to build, mm. that's when it becomes our problem. <laughs> but now do you think that, there are things that architects can do better. Mm. Well, I think, okay, so primarily with uh, sla- what they used to call servants' quarters or slave mm. quarters sometimes, they they used to do things like um, have a window 1.8 meters from the ground mm. so that the domestic worker or servant couldn't see through the window and look at the family, mm. right? So that that was very, very calculated Mm. or the fact that they didn't have storage space and those speak to different components like components that you can put in or take away Mm. that um that create a sense of control within the space and so just in terms of just like basic human comforts Mm. we can already make a significant difference but at the end of the day people will always ruin space Right. <laughs> so again, like we can design incredible systems and that's been the the main flaw in architecture actually. And that's why there's a constant reimagining of what architecture can and should be yeah. and trying to understand where the limits of architecture are mm. because we have a limit. Like there's only so much we can do once we give the building away to people mm. and then people make things of it. Mm. And then we have to reimagine how people use space and reimagine what that means. And that's why people are reimagining what a library means, reimagining what a mall means, because we're constantly finding the way humans use it versus the way we thought they would use it. Mm. And we have to reimagine what it inherently means. So, but, but would you say if it is kind of, it does turn into kind of a, a chicken and an egg mm. situation to some mm. extent. Yeah. Um, do you think that we were, we're reimagining? And revising spaces fast enough. Absolutely not. And, and that's been, that's also the other problem with architecture is it's one of the slowest art forms. Mm. And some have argued that, um, 3D technology is helping people imagine spaces much faster. Mm. So in a way you're able to iterate how people would respond to space much faster because they can imagine it because it looks real. Yeah. But it's still not enough, you know, because the moment that space happens, then you've got all these forces that you didn't see coming. Mm. 
so um so yes it's a very slow art it's a slow practice um i mean a building sometimes you when you conceive it between when you conceive it and when you finish it sometimes a quick project can take three years yeah by that time your conception can can be outdated if you look for instance at how fast our political climate is changing mm. and you have an idea today by 2020 can you imagine what that'll mean so yeah so, architecture uh, it, architecture cannot keep up with human progress so or or regression <laughs> right so this yeah. is why then the intervention from an architectural point of view Needs to be a more psychological one. Yes. Because I think architects can teach people how they use space. Absolutely. And that's actually what I'm trying to explore. Because my, I'm trying to understand whether we need more buildings mm. or, because in a lot of instances, we have enough space. Mm. Um, and then misuse is what leads to things like abandonment or, you know, fear leads to abandonment, those, those sorts of things. But, um, and that's also personally why I'm conflicted about making more buildings because mm. I think that we've already got at least more than enough to work with already in order to then make it about, um, how we use it, why we use it that way, what we're probably going to do with it. Mm. Those sorts of things, which I think are discussions worth having. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, even though they're not architecture students or architects, these students are able to just instinctively, and that speaks to perceived space, instinctively know that something was not made for them and it still isn't. Mm. And they, they're not necessarily completely able to articulate why or how and what must change. Mm. But it, that feeling remains. And so I think those are definitely worth discussing within the architectural realm because it's there. The buildings are there. <laughs> There's only so many buildings we can tear down and start again. And we're probably very likely not going to do it. So we might as well engage with, you know, what those spaces mean, why they mean that. I think the big problem here is that people don't understand space the average person hasn't been exposed to that even though we're all spatial thinkers right we haven't been taught to think spatially so it kind of um it, it kind of happens by accident but we don't know yeah. how to deliberately um kind of manage the relationship that we have with spaces yeah and so and that's where i think it's sad that a discipline like architecture has become so so specialist right and it's mm. something that you could you i mean i don't remember learning about space in high school for instance yeah so is that something that you would advocate for some kind of a democratization of of architecture some uh, where kind of we give people more Mm. More people access. Yeah, that would be so beautiful. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I think we could also get away with not having people make deliberate spatial acts. I think, and for me, again, like where my interest lies, it has to do with um, exploring just human behavior, right? 
and maybe associating human behaviors to space, mm. but that essentially it's like we, we are not um, emotionally intelligent. We're not an emotionally intelligent society, mm. for instance, right? We're not a financially literate society. Mm. So, but those things really, really influence space. Yeah. So I actually think those might be two different disciplines. I think there's architecture as a craft mm. that you teach to people who want to build buildings. Yeah. Right? I think that's one field. And then I think that people haven't been taught what to do with those buildings yeah. or how to manage their relationships with those bu- buildings. Right? And, so there's, yeah. I think... And it's because we speak about space through programs. Like, this is programmed to be a restaurant. Exactly. But e- even in a, there's a teaching for the architect and there's a teaching for the user. Yeah. But the architect must also be trained <laughs> to understand that. Mm. And, and I mean, part of the struggle as well in our industry is the, you know, <clears throat> the all-encompassing uh, master builder architect who mm. is the visionary mm. who wants to make his object but and he's also my understanding from what you're saying is he's also limited absolutely Do you know what i mean absolutely. but but the thing is i think the architecture industry doesn't quite understand how limited it is mm. that's also a problem we also need education exactly and uh, just to acknowledge that the the user the person who occupies the space is just as important yeah yeah, but I mean, every time you, you discuss architecture in this way, they'll say, but that's not really architecture, that's sociology, that's psychology, that's economics, that's what it, but it, it always gets taken out of the architectural realm. Would you teach, let's call it the psychology of space, would you teach that um, at a high school level? What, what parts Absolutely. of space would you Absolutely. build into a, a high school syllabus? What do you think is most important for people to understand? I think inherently that space is a thought. Mm. Yeah, I think that. I think if we primarily understand that Mm. and then understand that thoughts are biased, thoughts are Mm. uh, predetermined, thoughts are rooted in desire or in culture or in history, that kind of stuff. Mm. And then to further unpack space on those terms... I think I'd be happy. <laughs> and space and freedom, right? Certainly could be taught from a mm. a historical point of view. Yeah, absolutely. I think there wasn't enough emphasis in the history syllabus. And I took history and I loved history, but there wasn't enough emphasis. Look, we always called it the architecture of apartheid, but that was very much a metaphor. We never actually went into how significant spatial planning was. Yeah. Um, so I think that definitely can be built into the, the history yeah, absolutely. syllabus, right? Absolutely. And um, as an architect, I wasn't taught about architectural. I mean, I wasn't taught about apartheid you spatial were... planning. I wasn't. No. Surely you did a course on South African history? I promise you I wasn't. Um, it was... Yo. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> Those textbooks, eh? <laughs> Those textbooks were heavily lacking. I mean, it said, it said ridiculous things like, uh, the first vernacular, um, architecture that existed within our country was Victorian architecture. So as it's if the history, nothing it's, existed it's the history of it. architecture as opposed to the history of our country. And then how does architecture apply? Yes, but it's a very 
revised version yeah. of history. So again, I don't trust it. <laughs> and and I, I promise you, I didn't learn apartheid spatial, the term and the concept and the actual um, enacting of apartheid spatial planning in university. I didn't learn it there. But for me, there's so much of architecture that's a humanities discipline. But that's also why it's very confused. Like in some institutions, it will be in humanities and some it's in the sciences and some it's in the arts. Uh-huh. Because it can't really, it, it doesn't know how to pin itself just yet <laughs> because it can exist in all those places. Fascinating. Yeah. Let's talk about control. Now, is there a difference between control and territory? Control is what contributes to the making or the breaking apart of territory. Oh, okay. Right? So control deals more with the components, mm. right? It really unpacks it into the different elements that make someone feel, fr- make someone feel free mm. in a certain space or that makes someone feel watched or limited mm. in another. Mm. Um, and that's really the only so difference. So control is kind of the matrix. So you can, ha- yeah. y- you know what I mean? So yeah. you can, you can have territory and not have control. You can feel like you identify with a space and you have territory over it, mm. but not necessarily control Absolutely. how that came to be. Yes. So control- and, that, and that's when you get into the elements. Okay. You Got know, you. why is it that, again, I pay rent, so it should be my space and yet I but don't feel like I own it. In many ways, nobody has control in that situation, especially if so much of it has been inherited mm. from the society yeah, or from... Um, the person who designed the space or the person who used the space prior to that? Some, I mean, some architects design spaces so that the user can feel control. Mm. Some design it for the purpose of the ego. Mm. Um, I guess, it, I, I guess you have limit. You, I guess you always have limited control. You always have less than you think you do. Yes, but sometimes, but it, I think it's, it's about feeling enough. Yeah. You know, not necessarily full yeah. control or, f- you know, full sense of ownership. It's really just about enough and the space to navigate that yeah. as well. Yeah. And I think that's what some architects have been able to successfully do where something doesn't necessarily belong to you, but with time in the ways that you use it, the ways that you engage with it, the ways that it engages with its context, you start to feel like you own it. If domestic workers can be intentionally or unintentionally um oppressed mm. but by their employers mm. by their madams mm. can madams be intentionally or unintentionally oppressed by the society yes absolutely right absolutely yeah so can both be victims of a larger oppressive mm. system yeah very yeah varying degrees but yeah um but now how much of this do you think has to do with the mechanization of domestic workers? Because for me, there's a, and we've discussed, there's a clear objectification here and you've got to objectify the thing to live with yourself to a large extent, given the way that it is in South Africa, right? It's mm. just Altern- a really shit institution. Alternatively, we, we also imagine that it could be just to imagine the thing that makes your life convenient as a tool, as the new tool. Yeah. The new spear, the exactly. new Exactly. But that essentially, for me, what that, what happens then is that it, you become an extension of the home rather than 
even a human being, mm. right? You become, they almost, you could put a domestic worker in the bond mm. for a house, the way that people think about it, mm. right? The same way, maybe you can build like maintenance into your bond, mm. right? Very certain utilities. Yeah. Um, and I think, and this is where I was saying, I always think that the madams are, are a victim or us as employees were victims of, of a system or a product of, or a product of, <laughs> or a product of. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Because I think, well, you know, being a victim is, 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 is a choice. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it just, it just means that we, we do still have some form of autonomy. Yeah, exactly. That's really all exactly. That means. Yeah. Exactly. So I do prefer a product of, uh, when it, it means essentially when you m- move into suburbia, mm. right? To keep up with the Joneses, mm. not only are you buying that big house, but you're buying a staff complement, right? Yeah. So say maybe the average household on that street has two domestic workers, a security guard and a gardener, mm. right? Mm. Before you even move in, Mm. Those are almost prerequisites. Before you even decide, those types of things can be, you know? Yeah, because in order to keep up, you're going to need those things. Exactly. So do you think part of the problem is is that, is that we think, do you think domestic workers have become an extension of households rather than a, a part of? A part of. I think to a large extent, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 then the problem with that mm. is that it has nothing to do with a person but with a role mm. that I must have a domestic mm. worker, mm. I must have a mm. gardener. Mm. So do you think so that's nothing to do with that's him? that's what's kind of creating an obstacle where the relations are concerned between an employer and domestic worker and, and the space. Absolutely, I think I think definitely to a large extent. Because maybe maybe they're not thinking about the human factor, as we've often seen. Yeah, I mean, it's it makes a huge difference how you share space with what you perceive. And I mean, it's so interesting because like, I see this on things like, like buses and trains and things where you have to closely share your public space. Mm. Um but, you know, the ways that people try to find privacy mm. within something that's so public, mm. right? And they do it differently with different characters as well. And I think um, it's, again, because of all these these ways that we just perceive those around us. Mm. And then we choose the way that we want to share space with mm. people. So at night, you prefer to cross the road because you mm. don't want to be mugged or you don't want to mm. be raped or whatever it is. Mm. But you choose the way that that person makes you feel mm. and then the way that space plays out. But you and first and foremost need to see that person as a person exactly. to have that reaction. Mm. So what you say, cause for me, it almost feels like the reaction we're having in our households to, to our domestic workers and sharing that space with them. Mm. It, it almost feel, feels non reactive, numb. Whereas when you're in a bus, mm. it doesn't matter who you are. When you're in a bus and somebody sits next to you, mm. you react. Yeah. You're conscious. Yeah. You, and you, you either choose to share that space in an open manner mm. or to 
to kind of withdraw yes. into your own little, but there's a reaction. Now mm. I'm saying the lack of reaction makes me think that there is no acknowledgement of the other person's humanity. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I don't need to accommodate you if I own you. Mm. But even that is reactive. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a form of reaction. It's reacting to the object mm. that the object doesn't warrant space. So it won't be given. So yes, it remains a reaction and it's, it's, it's in a way like a tear of the ways that we see humans. But I feel like you can almost, you can put somebody in a bus with a domestic worker and they'll still be more reactive than they would be in their home with their domestic worker. I swear to God, I don't know how we're going to test this. I promise you, I think most employers treat their domestic workers differently outside of their houses. If and not if she's going shopping with you and she's still acting when she's out of the role of domestic worker and you're in public space, I suspect that the mm. relationship is slightly different, maybe even awkward. But there's I this is But I guess it's I mean, if you imagine the way that people treat their children at home versus treating their children in public, mm. it's gotta do again, it's sort of instinctively with maybe the way that you want to be perceived in public mm. versus the way you are okay to be in private. Mm. And we're uh, seldom the same. <laughs> so, this is yeah. A true story. This is a true story. Association. I think we've touched on control. Yes. We've touched a lot on ownership, but what we haven't really touched on is access. Yes. So you had said something about how you know, isn't the domestic worker supposed to feel quite comfortable because she can access all the rooms mm, and she can, mm. you know, like, so isn't she supposed to feel just as comfortable, even more comfortable potentially? Mm. Um, but it's always about the way that that access plays out, mm. that inherently that access is given to her. She mm. otherwise wouldn't be able to access that house, mm. right? So it's not, it's not her access to give. It is her access to receive. Okay. Um and and that's where it starts. And secondly, um the often the family has access to her space even when she doesn't want them to. Yeah. Um and I mean we've we've spoken to a couple of domestic workers who have said how they sometimes see that their room was you know, inspected, yeah, things yeah. were moved around. Yeah. No one told her, no one asked her. Mm. Um, but you know, usually the employers will feel like it is their right to, because it is on their property. It is their ownership. So that access is also quite skewed. If someone can access your space, um, even though it is called your space. Yeah. So yes, again, the perception of access is warped because on the one hand you have to be given access. It's not just yours. And on the other hand, access is taken. Sure. There's a huge difference there because I think a lot of people think access is access. Either you can occupy a space or you can't, but mm. access can either be it needs to, yeah, there's, yours to give or yours to receive. I think that's very interesting. And, and I think that's what a lot of uh, historically white towns still feel like mm. for a lot of um, black South Africans is a space where they have to be given the opportunity to access it. 
mm. or they have to be given the permission. And yet I look at how upper middle class South Africans and expats will occupy a place like Vilagazi Street Absolutely. or other parts of Soweto, for yeah. instance. Yeah. You know? And that's where access is taken. And that's and that's also been quite a huge problem with um the architecture industry when <laughs> practitioners go into informal settlements and they do informal settlement community based work. Mm. Um and I, I don't know how many of them realize that, but again, access was never given. Access is often taken. There's the presumption that they can walk into those spaces and they can they can maybe just find a partner once they're there they can find a partner that they can work with who's a community member mm. but mentally psychologically their access is actually not limited it's maybe only limited to not knowing anyone but it's not that they think maybe there is a way that i might never be able to access this space mm. and it speaks to power with if you perceive that you can access a space, it's just a, a matter of semantics. I must just get to know someone or I must just make an alliance with this. It speaks to how much power you feel like you inherently have. Hmm. What's interesting from an au pair point of view hmm. is the fact that I have often felt more comfortable occupying certain spaces in a house. Right? So mm-hmm. the living room, for instance, mm-hmm. the dining room, I'm mm-hmm. quite happy to eat my meals there. But I've, I've never seen a domestic worker eat their meal at the dining room. Why do you think you feel comfortable? It's exactly what you're saying about, I think partly it's what you're saying about inherent power. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I come, come and from because the I same can, class. come from the same class. So I, I can identify with the space. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have territory. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I feel like I can take access. Look at me using all your semantics. <laughs> and therefore, <laughs> the access is mine to take. <laughs> I love it. Um, I think that's partly to, to do with it. But then it's also def- definitely the way that I'm treated. Mm. Yeah. True. Right? I'm given more access. Mm. But even if I wasn't, like I said, a lot of these things are unsaid. But imagine though, if you say, if you can already, if you can distinguish that there's a distinction between the way that you're treated versus, versus the domestic worker, mm. then can you imagine how that perpetuates that spatial thinking and spatial relationship? Mm. You know, that you feel more and more comfortable uh, with that as your space as, as well, and she might never. And yet we're both employees. Yeah. Yeah. And none of this has ever been said expressly. Yeah. But it's understood. But no, you're the architect we need. Oh, stop. No, for real. <laughs> and by we, I mean both maid and South Africa. I think the fact that you're not South African gives you an advantage. Yeah, it does help. It mm. really does. It means also that you just have so many nuances that exist in you, oh, which stop. actually allows you to understand nuance. It's fantastic. <laughs> and we'll continue to have this conversation. I know what we want to do is to have it with domestic workers Definitely. both foreign nationals and South African domestic workers yeah. I mean, they have different experiences in terms of uh, uh, in terms of access ownership <laughs> autonomy control well, association can, can and I, territory can I very quickly speak to it uh, about autonomy sure okay because just the idea that I had in mind regarding autonomy right because autonomy is spatial autonomy is really uh, feeling the freedom to right to do whatever you desire within that space, whatever it is. Um, 
And when you look, for instance, I mean, we spoke a bit about the domestic worker that speaks over the fence to her friend because there's a limit to where her friend can go or um, some of the domestic workers have told us they have to get dropped off at the top of the street so that there isn't some strange car that stops in front of their house that might be suspicious and they might steal from them sometime. But all of those decisions that are made are not on the domestic workers' own terms, Mm. but they're on the employer's terms. Mm. So the ways that she determines how to act within space Mm. has everything to do with someone else. Mm. And that's when the falling apart of autonomy within space starts Mm. and continues. So ideally she wouldn't like to be, to be stopped at the beginning of the street and have Mm. to walk, but Mm. she has to make that decision not for herself, but for someone else's freedom. And that's insane because that goes beyond the household, right? Yeah. That's on the street, yeah. which is a public space, but still her relationship with her employer mm. and whatever that may be mm. impacts the way that she feels in public space. And that's how it gets out of a house or out of small scale into city scale. If you think, for instance, about where taxi ranks are, mm. taxi ranks are not necessarily in a very uh, like prime area in Santon. Mm. There's a reason for that. And it's... Um, you know, I mean, besides ter- territories that have been decided and, but it's also not a subsidized industry. Mm. So it's not necessarily that they just have space to take, mm. but they're also very strategic in terms of where their users go, mm. but also in terms of what it means for that city. Yeah. You know, whether that city will be comfortable with yes, what it will look, what they will look like in that certain corner. Or things like that. So, so that works on a larger scale. So it, it really literally unfolds itself on, on varying scales. There's all this latent bullshit, eh? Mm, there is, huh? That was like cast in stone or written, there, all these social codes that were written ages ago that we all subscribe to because we, <laughs> we think they're normal. Yeah. You know, it's under, so many things are understood. It's understood and we'll, I mean, it would have been cool to talk about, um, for instance, and we've, we've had a show where we've spoken about how sometimes domestic workers, often domestic workers don't feel comfortable eating at restaurants. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not only that, but I think the clientele in the restaurant would be a little bit uncomfortable if a domestic worker sat down. I know I wouldn't be uncomfortable, but I'd be confused. I'd be like curious, you know, mm. it would be different mm. because it's understood. Even I understand. Mm. I, I'm chorus of the main sessions. I'm open-minded. You know, mm. our whole thing is about dismantling all of this crap. Yeah. <laughs> but still, <laughs> mm. I, I would be confused. Yeah. Perplexed. Yeah. By something like that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, none I, of us are immune. Yeah. I also feel prey to it all the time. But I think that the shock has an effect on on the subject, the subject being the person who, or the thing you're shocked about. Mm. And that can perpetuate it. Mm. You know what I mean? As mm. opposed to it just being, huh? Yeah. Neither here nor there. But I mean, do you show, do you show active shock? <laughs> Are you gasping? <laughs> no, I'm gasping, but there's definitely a vibe. Like I'll definitely look. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Or maybe the way you phrase things exactly. or things like or that. Or over yes, smile. Yeah. Even. Oh, yeah, true. Right? Very true. And we know that when we overcompensate, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable too. So it's just, it's hard to win, huh? 
Basically, yeah. but uh, we are winning here with hey. uh, this 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 here conversation. It was very cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So stimulating. Yeah, likewise. As always, enjoyed. Very really, good I, I now have a, a, a deep love, Aww. or at least an intrigue for all things architecture. Thanks. I always I hope that you'll become one. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> <But> <laughs> a critic I can be. <laughs> Go for it. Of all I love things. It. I love um, it. <laughs> okay, guys. And with that, thank you so much for joining us on the Mate Sessions with CliffCentral.com. To leave us any last words. Well, thank you. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. Um, it's not quite an easy topic to understand or talk about. Um, because I think so much are also things that we're, uh, uncovering, I think as an architectural practice, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to, I'm, I'm always very grateful for the platform, for the ability to start to discuss these things. And I mean, it's also getting to a stage where I'd really love for you, the public audience to engage with us. Um, and yeah, I mean, since this is the last, uh, show for the year. I just want to say, have a very, very beautiful holiday we season. We wish you a merry Christmas. <laughs> we wish you a merry Christmas. And we look and so happy new year. And we look really forward to, um, having more incredible discussions and just incredible things in general happen next year. Um, but again, thank you so much. It's not easy topics to discuss, but I really hope that you can find some sort of, uh, comfortable space to, throw out a lot of your personal experiences or ideas we're always open to them thank you yeah thank you so much you are our peoples um and as much as you're faceless and nameless know that you make a difference to us and to this endeavor uh yeah man you motivate us you make us stronger you make it worthwhile every single day Okay, that's it from us. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and um, look after yourselves. Be safe on the roads, etc. Please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Behave responsibly. We need you. <laughs> yeah. All 12 of you. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no, really, there aren't 12. There are more than 12, I promise. <laughs> There's 13. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. All right, guys. Lots of love. Um, see you in 2017. Peace. Twitter and stuff. Oh, Twitter, Twitter tools, Twitter. Yeah, um, so Twitter, um, just go to at Made Project. That's M A I D E Project, as well as our Facebook page, which is also Made Project. Or you can type in the Made Sessions. We'd love to hear from you guys. Okay, bye, bye. Cliff Central. The revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.